Please be seated. If you would like to turn in your copies of God's Word to the psalm that we just sang, so Psalm 142, and you can find that on page 523 if you want to use the Bibles right in front of you. But as you're turning there, there are words that theologians have placed at the beginning of Psalms. And the first, the second word of this is a maskal of David, which means that a maskal is an instruction, a, a wise saying. There's something that David is wanting to tell his audience. And that audience is, is you right here. So let us then hear Psalm 142. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. When my spirit faints within me, You know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me, and there is no one who cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Father, we are coming into your presence because we want to hear you speak to us. Do that now during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know what true darkness is? Have you ever experienced this true darkness? I went on a cave diving expedition last year in West Virginia. And one of the things that the tour guide showed us is what true darkness really is. So we go into the, the, the deepest part of the cave that we were allowed to, and he says to us, turn off the lights, turn off the cell phones, and you will see what complete darkness is. If you ever experienced that before, it could be a very terrifying thing. At first, it seems great. Of course, I want to experience what true darkness is. That sounds awesome. But then, as the minutes roll by, the panic starts to set in. The sense of weight, the sense of being suffocated and choked by the pressing darkness around you, it doesn't seem all that great anymore. And this is the imagery that is brought to us in Psalm 142. 
David is in a cave that he describes in verse 7 as his prison that he wishes to be utterly liberated from. Today, you might be feeling some of these things. Choked, suffocated, the darkness quelching your soul and spirit. And David is experiencing these things while he is in the cave. And yet despite all of this bleakness, despite all of this darkness, despite the seeming no hope that is in the cave for David, there is instruction that is given to us. That when we feel overwhelmed, that we are to cry out to our God. That when we feel overwhelmed, as if there is no hope, as if this is nothing and there's, there's no solution to my problem, we are to cry out to our God. And there are four ways in which we see from this text that we are to cry out to God. So let's look here at Psalm 142. Step one is what we see in verse two. Verse two says, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble. And we see this language throughout the text. We can look at verse one. I I cry out. I, I plead In verse 2, I pour out my complaint, I tell my trouble. Verse 5, I I cry, I say, attend to my cry. So David is coming to God, troubling him with his troubles. And so that is step one, trouble God with your troubles. Whatever they may be, however dark and difficult they may be. We're to trouble God with our troubles. And that tells a lot about our heart. When we are in these kind of situations, we've all faced them. Who we turn to and what we turn to reveals a lot about our heart, doesn't it? Do you turn to your friends, your your co-workers? Do you turn to your, your spouse? Who is it for you? Where do you turn in these dark, cave-like moments? Well, again, David turns to God. That is the very first thing he does. He's, of course, there are other people perhaps that he could turn to, but the only one that's actually going to provide the real solution is God himself. He knows that this cave that he is in can't be his eternal dwelling, that while he might be able to turn to this person or that person, the only person that he's going to tell his troubles to is the only one that's fully going to understand. So he comes to God with his troubles. Now, that seems great, but do we do that? Do you? If you don't, why don't you? Maybe it's because for you, God is the God of the universe. He's the one that made the cosmos. He's the one that made the the lily. He's the one that made the fireflies. He's the one that made all of these things. He's the one that controls governments. He's the one that topples kingdoms. Why would God care about little old me with all of my small insignificant problems? I'm not going to go to God and tell him these things. Why would he care about all of the things that are going on in my heart? But we know that we're called to do this. And there are countless places that you could go to in Scripture. You could write these down. 
You could look at them again later, but Hebrews 4, 15-16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then here's the, here's the clinch here. It says, Let us then, because of the things that happened before, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find hope and grace in our time of need. God calls you to do this. There are other examples. 1 Peter 5, 7 says to cast all of your anxieties upon God, and He will sustain you. He says to cast them upon Him. That is what He is telling you to do in your darkest moments, to come to God, to tell Him your troubles, to cast them at the throne of King Jesus, and let Him deal with those things. Let him be troubled with your troubles. Philippians 4, 6-7 to, to says, Do not be anxious about anything but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Make them known. Tell him your troubles. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts in your minds, in Christ Jesus. Even Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you and He will never let the righteous be moved. This is the Lord's promise to you that when you come to Him with your troubles, with your concerns, with those things that you think He shouldn't be concerned about, He's not going to care. He's the God of the universe. He says come to Him with them. Do you? Or do you think those promises that I just read do do not apply to you? Like David cries to God in in this song, in verses 1 and 2, this pleading, this crying before him, Christ does the same thing at the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26 before he goes to take the wrath of God, that cup, Upon himself. He cries out to God, Is there any other way? And while he was on that cross, and he cries out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus, in his times of trouble, troubled his father with his troubles. And we know of the liberating freedom that does come with just voicing our concerns to others. Because you know this, if you have a friend and you have a concern, you're going through a hard time, going and talking with them, maybe they can't do anything about it, maybe they have no skills or expertise to fix any of your solutions, but just the mere fact that you get to speak to somebody else, those deep, dark concerns in your heart, There is a liberating freedom that comes with that. And so too it is with with God. Now, this means then, with step one, that you and I are to tell God our troubles. And we're to go to God before we go to others. And as we read 
in countless verses, we are to cast our anxieties, our burdens upon the Lord. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is saying, You can have his yoke, which is easy, but you've got to come and you've got to ask for it first. So that is step one that we see in this text. Step one is to trouble God with our troubles. And then we come here to step two. Look with me at verse three. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. So David in this text is, he's abandoned, he's, he's isolated, there's no one who cares for him, no one takes notice of him. There are people that are seeking to lay a trap before him. And his one thing that he clings to, this one glorious promise is that his God knows him. He knows him fully and completely. Do you feel that God knows you? Here, David, this great, glorious king who has toppled kingdoms, he has destroyed giants with rocks, this mighty warrior, the only thing that he's clinging to is that his God knows him. He is so overwhelmed, there's this imminent darkness that he is in. In fact, the text says that there is, in verse 4, look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. There is no refuge to me. No one cares for my soul. At his right is the position of strength. That's the right hand. It's your strength. And there's no one there to help him. No one is there to deal with his concerns. That's how he feels. Yet David, while it seems that there is none to help him, knows that his God fully knows him. And as I look to each and every one of you today, whatever your concern is, whatever imminent darkness or cave that you are in, know that God fully knows And he fully knows you. And he deeply is concerned about those troubles of your heart. Know that. And rest in that like David did here in verse 3. You know my way. Just a few chapters before Psalm 142, David wrote a very famous psalm that we often think about. 142 isn't really that famous in our denomination, but Psalm 139 is one which we are very familiar with. Look, if you will, at Psalm 139. Just flip a page back if you're in the Pew Bible. If you look at verse 9, look at some of the language that he uses here. Again, this is just a few chapters before this. He says, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light become, or the darkness become as light. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. 
And then flip over to the next page, the page before that to verse 33. Or verse 13, rather. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. This is a picture of God's intimately knowing David and intimately knowing that which he has created, you and I. He knows us. He fully knows us. And even in this passage here, it talks about God knowing when he sits down and when you rise up. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, but how many of us keep track of things like that? Sitting down and rising up. Very insignificant details. But that is what God pays attention to. He does not escape his gaze or his knowledge. Isn't that incredible? He knows every hair on your head. He has numbered them. He fully knows you. So when David is here in the cave, and he's experiencing the pain of having no one who takes notice of him, and no one who cares for his soul, Jesus, too, felt this way. His earthly suffering was made worse by being completely isolated from people who could give him support. When he was in the garden, his disciples were meant to be outside waiting and and praying for him, and he comes out in their sleep. When he goes to the cross, one of his disciples said that if if it comes down to it, I'm never going to, to, to deny you, and yet Peter goes and he denies Jesus before men, leaving him alone, forsaken, and isolated. And then at the cross, before Jesus goes, he cries out, and he cries out, it is finished. At, the po- at that point, as the full weight and wrath of God was laid upon him, the Father turns his back upon the Son. Feeling completely isolated and alone. I mean, Isaiah 53 says he grew up like him before a tender shoot out of dry ground. He had no stately form or majesty to attract us. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And zero in on this, like one from whom men hide their faces. In your overwhelming state, know that God fully knows you, and he knows what it is like to be alone and to be abandoned. I had a friend once, a couple years ago, who went through an absolutely terrible breakup. And we were roommates at the time, and I asked him, months after going through that, what was he praying during that time? What was in his heart? And he said he had one single prayer. Only one. It was the shortest prayer, but the most beautiful I could have seen. He says, Oh Lord, you know. Oh Lord, you know. And that was his prayer. As he's laying on the bed, his heart exposed to God. He, that is his only prayer. You know. You know what I'm going through. You know the pain I'm experiencing. You know my brokenness. You know my tears. Oh, Lord, you know. What more beautiful prayer to pray to God. 
Lord, you know. So step one, trouble God with your troubles. Step two, know that he fully knows. And then step three, rest in your refuge. Look with me at verse five. It says, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. So again, David has been brought low. He's in this cave situation, this bleak darkness. He is faint-hearted. He's fearful. The, the enemy could be at his doorstep. He is overpowered by his persecutors, feeling as though he's imprisoned and there is no escape and no one to help him and no one at his right hand. But he knows that this rocky hole that he is in cannot be his true eternal refuge and security. But what exactly is a refuge? Like a lot of, this isn't a deeply theological term like we, talk, like we were hearing about this morning, like justification, imputation. But refuge is still quite a nebulous term because of how often we bandy that around. What does this mean exactly? What do we mean when we say that God is our refuge? Well, we mean that God is a safe place, uh, a place where we go to when we are having a hard time. It's the rock upon which our houses are built, so we don't have to be concerned about whether the foundation will come out in the midst of a storm. It's the place you run. It's the place you hide. It's the place you flee to, so that you can be energized This is a term that is common in the Psalms. So if you go back several uh, chapters, nearly a hundred in fact, to Psalm 46, David writes a whole psalm about this. In Psalm uh, 46, if you want to turn your pew Bibles, it's page 471. The very first sentence in there, the very first verse is, God is our refuge and our strength. So the fact is that the refuge that that David is talking about here is a common term that he uses. And in Psalm 46, he talks about contrast, what the refuge looks like compared to the situation. He talks about waves roaring and foaming, mountains trembling and shaking, the heart of the sea foaming. There's this upheaval, and that is sometimes what our life is like, isn't it? It is dark, it's bleak, we feel undone by things going on, overwhelmed by the circumstances that life has brought us to. The seas roaring and foaming all around your lives. And so this refuge that David is talking about is the one that's secure and safe in the midst of those storms. Not in spite of that, Not aside from that, but during it. He is a very present help, is what Psalm 46 talks about. A very present help in our times of distress. And there are other countless places throughout Scripture where, again, terms come up. We could think of Deuteronomy 33.27. Listen to this. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. 
He will drive out your enemies before you, saying, destroy them. Or Isaiah 24, 4-5 says this, For you have been a defense for the helpless, a, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like rain, storm against a wall, like heat in a drought. This term is all over the place, all throughout scriptures. And we know that every time we see this refuge that's being talked about, it is about Christ, ultimately. All of these pictures, all of this imagery that we see in the Psalms, it's all talking about Him. And so when you believe in Christ... When you made Him your Lord and Savior and you submitted to His will in your life, He is your refuge. He is your unfailing security. And Christ remains your constant advocate in heaven, defending you and speaking on your behalf. In the midst of your darkest darkness, in the bleakest bleak, He is there in the midst of the storm, with you. Do you believe that? Romans 8, For nothing will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nor persecution, nor famine, nor brokenness, nor sword. None of that. Because Christ is your refuge, and if He could not be broken, as you rest in your refuge, you will not be broken either. In Matthew 14, very famous picture to illustrate this point. The disciples are with Jesus, they're out in the boat, and the disciples go out, One day, and Jesus is out there on the water. Perhaps an amusing picture to some, if you really give it some thought. Quite a spectacle, this man walking on the water. And Jesus invites Peter to come to him. And if you know the story, you know that that Peter does, in fact, go out to Jesus. Why? Why? It would seem completely illogical, wouldn't it? This, this, this boat that I'm on right now is solid ground. I'm going to, if I get out in the water there and I go to Jesus, I'm going to sink. Maybe you would think that. But Peter goes out into the water because he knows that he is safer out in that water with Jesus than he is on that boat. And it is not until he begins to doubt. It is, not, it is not until he begins to take his focus off of Christ that he begins to sink. He is your refuge in the midst of a storm. So even when you are hit with the worst case scenario, sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? Stuff gets piled on and you think, I can't imagine how this could get possibly worse. 
even in there, nothing, even when nothing else could possibly go wrong, he is there in the storm with you. And you can rest in your refuge. Even in the most difficult circumstances, God is sovereign over it and is working it out for your good. Even if you can't possibly see how he is doing that. So rest under the shadow of his wings because he invites you to stay there and to be with him. And there is nowhere better to dwell. So step one, when overwhelmed, we are to cry out to our God. Step one, trouble God with your troubles. Step two, know that he fully knows you. Step three, rest in your refuge. And then finally, here, step four, lay hold of God's promises to you. Look here at verse 7 of our text. Verse 7 says, Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. And then zero in on this. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Again, look at the context that, that David is in. This bleak, dark situation, the, the waves crashing around him. And yet he holds with a definite, firm reality that God will be there, that God will meet him in his darkest, dreariest moments. He will. It's definite. It's absolute. He doesn't doubt it. He knows that this is the reality because he's experienced this in the past. And yet despite this, in verse 6, attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Even though he knows, he still brings these things to God. He is brought so low that he, basically this, this mighty warrior man that he is, he's sitting there and he's saying, I don't think you understand, God, how difficult this absolutely is for me. I don't think you realize how challenging this is. God, I think you're asking too much or demanding too much. You expect too much of me. And that's what he's saying here. For I am brought very low. For they are too strong for me. Too strong. Too challenging. Too much that you're asking of me, God. I've had enough. How many of you when faced with these trials, say that to God. You are asking too much, demanding too much, expecting too much. And this is too hard for me. And yet, and yet David has this confidence. He has this confidence in Christ because he knows who his Savior and refuge is. He knows who he can come and trouble his troubles with. He knows that he is fully known, and so he knows that even though these things are so challenging and so difficult that he feels suffocated by them, he clings to the promises of the Word of God. 
that says that he will meet you in your time of need. Even Jesus, in Luke chapter 23, why don't you turn there with me, to Luke 23. In Luke 23, verses 43 and 46, even though Jesus is going through a difficult thing, there is a confidence that even he has as he is at the cross. In verse 43, it says this, And he said to him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And then verse 46, uh, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He's in the circumstance, but he submits it to the Father. Saying, into your hands I commit my spirit. And you and I, in our difficult, challenging moments, are to do the same, to submit our difficulties to God. And to lay hold of his promises to us. And I want you to hear a few of these. Because these are for you if you are in Christ. So listen to some of these. Don't write these down. I really just want you to listen to these verses. So if you are worried about the future, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13 says, I know the plans for, I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for, to bring you hope in a future, to prosper you. If you're worried about the future, lay hold of that promise. Because it's to you that it was made. If you are afraid Isaiah 41, 10 through 11 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When, if you feel a lack of peace, Isaiah 26, 3 says, He keeps you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. If you the lack peace. That's the verse to go to. When you feel as if no one is there to fight with you or beside you, Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord himself will be before you and will be with you. He will fight on your behalf. Are you hearing these promises? I want you to hear this because they're made to you to lay hold of to seize as the definite reality for which they are. If you are worried about your eternal destiny, you are doubting your salvation. John 10, 28 says, I will give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you are Christ's, There is nothing and no one, no tribulation, no persecution or famine or sword that will ever take you out of King Jesus' hands. You are secure there with him. These promises are to you to lay hold of, to seize as a definite reality for which they are. True, the same yesterday and today, just as the character and the very being of God is. 
But we also see at the end, if we go back to Psalm 142, that there is this picture of, of David being delighted and looking forward to the reunion of being with the community of believers. So if you look at Psalm 142, that's, that's what he's hoping for. There are countless verses that talk about that. But here in this section, this is what he is looking for in verses 6 to 7, that, that being reunited with the believers, which implies that we, as a body of Christ, in the midst of people's storms, are to be accessible to each other. You and I need to be available for each and every single one of us here so that when we are going through challenging times, we are not alone. Not alone the way that Christ was, and as Christ had to be. So do you as a community endeavor to go to those people who are isolated, who are feeling alone? Does that mark you as a community that you go after those people in their darkest darkness, and their bleakest bleak? Is that true for you? So, do you know what true darkness is? Are you experiencing it right now? Feeling choked? feeling a panic, weight upon you, a sense of emptiness. Well, when you do, and when you are overwhelmed, you are to cry out to your God. You are to trouble Him with your troubles. You are to know that He fully knows you are to rest in your refuge. And you are to lay hold of God's promises to you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this word that you have given. You have given us instruction here. May we walk in obedience to it. In Jesus' name, amen.